The following is brought to you with no commercial interruptions. Listen now. And I was looking, I don't I don't know if it's this song or something, but I know that I've seen Pearl Jam in concert once and Ed had a ukulele and he was talking about it and he was saying something and he like flipped it over. He was like, oh, blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh, wait, no, I don't know if it's a boy or a girl. And like he flips it over. And of course, there's the hole to plug in the uh, the jack on it. And he says, oh, it's a girl. And I look back. It's like, OK, it's not in any of the soon forgets I've seen live. So it's and the only other song I could think of is Blue, Red and Gray. And it's not in the time that I saw that live. I can't remember. But you saw it live? Yeah, I I I, I know I did because I remember him looking at it and picking it up. I can't remember, but I, I it's it's. At some point when I've seen them, you gotta you gotta put that put that question out there to the community. I'm sure somebody knows. And lastly, I'd introduce you to a friend of mine. His name is uh, Luke. Luke the Ook. I don't know if it's a boy or a girl, but his name is Luke. It's a girl. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 14 of the Better Band Podcast, an all-encompassing trip through every song in the Pearl Jam catalog. I am your host, Brandon Palomo. Each episode, a different guest and I go track by track through every album, soundtrack, single, and b-side to discover why you simply can't find a better band. Welcome to the Better Band Podcast. This is Brandon and my guests today to talk about the song Soon Forget are from the State of Love and Trust podcast, Pearl Jam podcast, partner, brethren. I tried to I tried to alliterate it, couldn't figure it out. Damn it. But uh, I've got Jason Carapesi and Paul Gillieri with me. Hello, guys. Hello, hello. We are happy to be here. All right, that's good to hear. It's good to talk to you guys. We, we we also we did not soon forget the last time we were here, so we're excited to be here again. And that will not make sense to anybody because I'm recording this episode second, or then this episode will Damn. air first. You ruined it. All. <laughs> <laughs> Paul has ruined the space-time continuum. <laughs> Time is a flat circle, yeah, man. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> could, people could be coming back to this, listening to it in reverse order after this is all done, and it's the year 2025 or something. I don't know. but uh, The I, people I, are going to retrack. You know, we talked about, before we come online here, talked about how uh, Paul and I do retracking of albums as episodes. People are going to retrack your series of shows about the albums to fit their own narrative. Yeah, see, yeah, people will be like, uh, I don't like that song. I don't like that song. It's like, oh, hey, I like this song. Oh, talking to the uh, to the uh, State of Love and Trust guys, and uh, psh, nobody likes Soon Forget, so of yep. course I skipped that episode. <laughs> so, hey, I'll go back and listen to that. There you go. It all works. Yeah, see, but I'm not going to reveal what episode they're coming back for. So, hey, you got to keep listening. That's how I do it. Come back to find out. Hell yeah. What a tease. So I gotta, I, I gotta ask you guys, uh, which one's love and which one is trust? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's a. <laughs> I don't know if answering that uh, encourages you to ask more <laughs> shitty, funny questions. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't need encouragement to be 
dumb i don't think just leave that lingering i just have to uh, uh embody the uh the wacky morning they're interconnected DJ, i think brandon is uh is, is where that question came no where did he go are we stuck oh oh he's gone he was here he's gone no, he's not. we have to restart in here i don't know Okay, I think the joke was too bad. Uh, it shut down everything. <laughs> that's the universe smiting you. Uh, I think that's the uh, the comedy god I offended. I think we're still recording though. You know speaking. what? Let Let's just start start over from scratch. We'll jump in. I like it. Welcome back to the Better Band Podcast. This is Brandon talking about the song Soon Forget with my guests here, hosts of the State of Love and Trust podcast. I have Jason Carapesi and Paul Gillieri here with me today. Hello, fellas. How do you do? How you doing, Brandon? Ahoy hoy. Indeed. <laughs> Yeah, good to have you guys on. Insert banter here, right? Yes, yes. Uh, we we kind of <laughs> kind of uh, had some technical difficulties, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll uh... we did a sound check. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, a dress rehearsal, as it were. There you go. I guess uh, nobody yes, has so... to know. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about the ukulele track or ukulele. If you want to uh, be fancy with it, a uh, song that Ed wrote here on Binaural. Recorded binaurally, so you can get the full 3D audio experience of Ed playing solo with his ukulele. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. I've got a point to make about that, actually. Oh, okay, cool, yeah. Well, before we get into that, though, you're going to have to hold on, because I have to ask you, uh, Jason, since this is the first time mm-hmm. that, uh, that you're on, uh, when did you first hear of Pearl Jam? That would be in the summer of 1992. I was at one of those summer recreation camp type dealies. And we were I was sitting on a picnic table playing some board game with other other lads of my of my general age. And um <laughs> radio came on. This was in the uh, greater Hartford, Connecticut area, and uh, I believe it was Radio 104 or WCCC, which are the local rock stations at the time. I believe Howard Stern actually worked for CCC. Anyways, uh, Jeremy came on the radio, and I was like, what is this sorcery? <laughs> and I was blown away. And, you know, you go home, and at the time, MTV is the hottest ticket in town. And if you want to be anybody, you make videos. You know, I saw the video as a 10-year-old and said to myself, holy moly, what's going on here? And I didn't quite understand it at the time, but I knew that I liked that song. And it made me seek out other songs. And then I realized that that song Alive that I'd heard like once before was the same band. And then I listened to, you know, uh, Even Flow and Black and all the all the singles and got 10, my first record or CD at the time. And it really just kind of snowballed. Um, I got Verses and I really liked that. And then I kind of fell off because a buddy of mine who got Vitalogy didn't really, um, he told me it wasn't very good. So I just trusted him blindly and didn't get it. Same with No Code. And it wasn't until Yield came back around that I was like, hey, this is really good. What happened to the other stuff? And then first show was in 98. And I rediscovered, obviously, those two great albums that I had missed. And off you go. But it was it started at a, on a park, uh, on a picnic table in, in a park with the radio station blasting Jeremy. And I, I feel like my story is probably very similar to many. But that's me. 
So where was your first show that you saw in 98? In Hartford. It was two days after the famous oh, okay. Madison Square Garden show where they brought Be- Breath back for the first time. And um, they did play it at the Hartford show. And if you read the live on Two Legs liner notes, Ooh. there is a special thank you to the security of Hartford for screwing it up for everybody. Oh. Because they there was like smoke bombs in the in the lawn area of the amphitheater and they, everyone kind of rushed the stage and Ed was pissed at how the security handled it. So they that's the reason why that show is very short. But that's my first show. Second row in front of Stone, oddly enough. Oh, cool. I can't remember. Did yeah. did uh, Live on Four Legs do an episode about that show? I don't know. I can't remember. They have quite the library of episodes. I don't I don't recall. Yeah, who knows? Uh, hey, the listeners, go back and make sure you listen to all their episodes and uh, get back <laughs> and uh, let me know. Yeah, that's it. Uh, uh, something spread the love around all the Pearl Jam podcasts, blah, 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 whatever. Okay, so... <laughs> Got that out of the way. Now we can talk about the yes. song. They first played it, or I guess Ed plays it because uh, nobody else really does anything during the song on the May 10th, 2000 Bellingham show. Of course, that I mention every other episode or so, Vault Number 4 in your bootlegs if you're looking at it. Uh, it's inspired, I guess, sort of by the Who song Blue, Red, and Gray. Um, at, the, at the Bellingham show, uh, Ed introduces it as a shit song. I'm about to attempt to play for you the uh, one of the greatest uh, songs ever written in the annals of rock and roll history, and and it was written on, and, and I'm going to play it on this. Actually, it's a shit song. But uh, it's not too bad, right, guys? You know, I think when you, when you look back at this track, it's important to remember that in Pearl Jam's career, and definitely throughout their catalog up until that point, we had never really seen this. You know, so this, this ukulele song comes on, and it's, it's this little respite from what we were used to hearing from the band. And admittedly, there's quite an eclectic and, and diverse soundscape on Binaural. But when I first heard this track, it obviously had, was nothing like I had ever heard any member of the band do before. And uh, little did I know at the time that it was going to launch what would be a whole solo album of songs. And looking back at the genesis of it, Obviously, yes, you know, Blue, Red, Gray was a great inspiration, especially the opening chords. But but I think when you look at that particular song, the Who song, it, it's arguably one of the most well-known ukulele songs on a rock album. And I, I think that just empowered Ed to just explore different instruments and just feel comfortable knowing that a song like that doesn't feel out of place or, mm-hmm. or you know, it can belong on a rock record obviously and so to be able to put something like that on binaural and i can't imagine a track like this on any other album up until that point except maybe no code but i think even on on no code it might have felt a a little too eclectic just because there's a lot of like world beat influence from jack on that album and and that the you kind of would have felt like a more of a b-side i think but uh, i think it's an interesting place on this track i think when we retracted it, Jason, I had advocated for pulling it off, mm-hmm. if I recall, um, 
in favor of sad, I think, but I think I did too. Yeah. But <laughs> that being said, it is on the album. <laughs> it is on the album. And you know, when you look at this particular song, it really does a nice job of highlighting what Chad Blake was trying to achieve with the, the whole binaural recording, this idea of using this technique to capture the way sound would envelope you. You know what I mean? And it's the quietest song on the album. And so it really allows you to kind of explore that technique, that sound technique in ways that none of the other tracks do. And so I do appreciate its placement on the album for that reason, in terms of, of the way it sounds anyway. Lyrically speaking, I mean, it's obviously, it, it, I don't want to call it silly. It's not silly, but it, it, it's kind of a, a bit of a, how do I say this? Folksy? It's very straightforward. Right. It, it is straightforward. It's, it's not kitschy. I don't know how to describe it. It just feels like preachy, I guess. Yeah, may, maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, and perhaps intentionally so. You know, you look at the idea of, of songs that they have recorded during that time and songs they recorded after, songs like Bush Leaguer and so on. It, it, there really is a criticism of the fame and the money and, and what it does to you, how it corrupts you from the inside out. And and ultimately, it, it, it's it's a song that mocks that. And uh, it, it doesn't do so aggressively, though. So I think that it's an interesting approach to those themes and motifs. I still don't think it elevates the record much. And I, I stand by my <laughs> initial uh, stance that a song like Sad, I think, would have been far better choice on the album. But this particular track, I'm, I'm glad we have it. It was a gateway into something that really made exploring Ed's solo stuff a lot more exciting. You know, it just kind of allowed you to appreciate his musicianship and, and the ways that he is capable of producing music in so many more v varied ways, I guess. You know, I mean, there was a while where I didn't even know Ed could play guitar, mm -hmm. you know, at the very beginning. I mean, it, it, because you just didn't, you know, and he, he was the, the front man and you, you didn't know unless you were fans of bad radio back in San Diego and the... <laughs> in the uh, late 80s or whatever. I mean, how, you know, how would you know until you, you started seeing him pull out an axe? It just it wasn't a prominent part of his stage presence initially. So I think that this track was just kind of a reminder of what Ed's capable of in a similar way that, you know, matter of time, you see him playing on the piano and, and it just serves as yet another reminder. Wow, yeah, I mean, these guys really are very talented and you almost want to see them do an album that really just spans the gauntlet of everything that they can play. And, and I think Stone's alluded to that recently about how he really wants to experiment a lot more and, and take more risks, which they did with Dance of the Clairvoyance. And, and, and I think there's a, there's a market for that. There's a, a, a need for that, for the band's survival. And I think uh, a song like Soon Forget is a helpful reminder of just how diverse they, they're capable of, of being. You were going to say something, uh, Jason, about the nature of the binaural recording, how it adds to the song? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's the way that it's recorded with with the binaural um, recording technique, it, it really suits the song, like, like Paul said, because single vocal track and the uke, there's basically just two things happening here. So how do you make that sound interesting? Mm -hmm. Well, you'll notice there's basically no reverb on Ed's vocal or the ukulele which is a very uncommon way to record nowadays. You want things to sound huge, right? You think about 10 and how they ripped off a lot of the reverb on a lot of the instruments and vocals from you know the original to the redux because it just made it sound different. It was more of a, of a time-specific way to record things. But you know 
putting reverb on and delay on on vocals has been a thing forever. And here it's all kind of stripped away and you let the the recording technique make it sound whole and full. And I think just having those two tracks of the of the uke and ed and recording them without reverb, it brings uh, an immediacy and an intimacy to this, um, which allows, I think, the story to shine. And, and what is the story? The story is modern America in a lot of ways, huh? And it's capitalism and it's the idea that money buys happiness. Mm-hmm. Haven't we heard this story a million times before? Yeah, we have. But somehow I feel like it rings a little bit different here. I think because of that immediacy and intimacy, just having the uke and ed, no reverb, binaural recording techniques. Like if it was the full band and some raucous song, it may it might have been easier to dismiss it as, you know, some progressive liberal agenda song like Paul was alluding to, because it has that that vibe where it's so on the nose, you know? But it, it's it's harder to look away and say the story is a myth the way that it was recorded. And people need to live for experiences and love. Um, they don't they don't live for money or material items and inanimate objects don't love you back. So this idea that people in this country or in this world will find love from things that can't love them back versus the things that can, it's silly when you think about it. And so it's sad, but it's silly. And this this the way that this song is done with a uke and just a guy singing is sort of silly, right? The uke is kind of a silly sounding instrument in in some ways. And I'm I'm not trying to denigrate the instrument, but you know, it's doesn't it almost sounds unserious because there's usually a jovial aspect to a uke. Mm-hmm. Like it's like, oh yeah, we're just hanging hanging out, not really taking life too seriously. You make you think you think of the islands, you think of having like a good, relaxed time, but the lyrics are heavy. So it juxtaposes the way that it's recorded, you know? I think that was the point. And, you know, if there are there are songs in the catalog that speak to a similar motif or have a similar um, agenda to make and are done as full rock value, right. value and volume, I guess I just combined this. It's two a nice words. dichotomy. Uh, yeah. And they can work. But I think for this one, with how immediate and, and direct, as you mentioned, the, the lyrics are, there's no like metaphors here. It's just it literally is. This is what happens. Counts as money every morning. Only thing that keeps them horny. I mean, these are the kinds of people who get off on just having a, a boatload of money and and at the expense of having real real relationships and real love. So you know, the rest of us are kind of laughing at them. And again, there you go, laughing silly. Use the ukulele, which is a relaxed instrument. It's a it's a really interesting dichotomy. And while I don't think that it really should have been on the album when there's so many good songs left off, and Paul mentioned sad, but you've got you know, in the moonlight, and you got. Fatal Un- Education. Undone, I think. Or was that right? Yeah, and there's, there's so many good from that era. It just seemed odd that that made the cut. But, you know, kind of, it kind of put that little drop in the water. And then you get a song a couple years later called Green Disease. And it starts putting them down this path of this anti-corporate America, anti-money is everything kind of kind of thing, which has really stirred into the last 20 years. But I like the song. Don't know if it should be on the album, but I like the song, to be succinct about it. Yeah, I think the... This, I think, came out, too, before ukulele started being everywhere as well, before you um, started having, I, I think, the first time that it kind of, you would see um, um, Zoe Deschanel, I think, with the ukulele. Uh, Amanda Palmer, I know, put out a ukulele covers of Radiohead album. There's, you know, kids now in in elementary school and stuff like that will learn how to play ukulele and everything. I think it's a real sort of people's instrument. 
It's it's a whole lot cheaper and easier to get into than a guitar. So it's a lot more accessible, I think, to people. And so um, it, I think, offers a sort of meta juxtaposition with the lyrics and uh, with what it's about as well there, too, which is, you know, just somebody, like we've said, who just cares about money, a, 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 an uber capitalist, uh, I guess you could say. Yeah, when when Ed was writing it, he said uh, there, there there was a bunch of he had a bunch of writer's block in it. Had problems finishing songs. Said uh, I wasn't allowing myself to pick up a guitar and write something new because I had all these other things I had to finish. But I looked over and saw this ukulele, and I said, "Well, that's not a guitar." So then he wrote this song, and then was able to just unstop the the blockage that he had in his mind, and was able to to finish the other songs after that. Also, if you've seen this live, he just about never gets the uh, the lyrics right. He uh, switches them up or something. <laughs> well, we chose, we did, uh, I think, soon forget is our lyric of the week, live cut of the week a few weeks back. Well, not as you're listening to this, probably a couple months ago. And uh, we chose the version from Tokyo, Japan. And yes, it, while it's a great version, he flubs, I think, the first chorus line. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> Those recordings are just so great. Yeah, which I loved. I, I thought that was that was perfectly synonymous with this song. Yeah, because it, it's um, yeah, there's no rhyming in it, which is something that he, you know, there wasn't a lot of rhyming in ten. And then, sort of as the albums go on and stuff, he starts rhyming everything. And then, like this song and some other ones, kind of are like, okay, I gotta say this, and I have something specific I want to say. I don't want to spend too much time, I guess, uh, uh, trying to figure out how to make it rhyme i want to say these exact words and get this feeling uh, uh, out so that's possibly another reason why it's a little bit harder to uh to remember the lyrics if you're not trying to i like... wonder because there's so- there are some songs that he does lyrically speaking where and i've made this joke before with the song seven o'clock where i called it word salad mm-hmm. where he's trying to jam in so many of his thoughts into one line it's like he, you can barely fit them in the bar and i'm like Bro, just you know, simplify. Uh, and sometimes it doesn't work, in my opinion, like that one. Or sometimes it does work, like a song like "Alone." You know, very much uh, similar, where you're jamming in a lot of words and there's not really any rhyming there, but it works for that song. Um, this song is kind of like in between for me because you know, there's one more time around. The sun is going down. You know, the moon is out, but he's drunk and shouting, putting people down. That's one more time around. It's not a sound He's lying dead Clutching Benjamins Never put the money down He's stiffening We're all whistling A man will soon forget um, There's like a then there's some slant rhymes With counts as money every morning Only thing keeps him horny So there's some in there But then there's some that's not You know, how are you going to rhyme alarming? Mm-hmm. You know, you can't alarming and morning it's not really a rhyme so he's kind of in between the two worlds here um which i don't mind i wonder you know i wonder if it's just the fact that it's him and a uke and it's like he's just telling us it's like a campfire song mm-hmm. if you were at a what do they call those the pig roasts in um in hawaii uh, uh, a luau a luau yeah is it a luau yeah i think that's something I think else. So. Yeah. maybe it's just a luau but it feels like you're just sitting around the luau, you know, a real casual, just, oh, I got this story in the back of my head and here's three or four chords to play along to it. It feels kind of like that mm-hmm. um, in a very casual, relaxed way. But the fact that the lyrics are so heavy, is, is far, the, the concept is heavy and serious, but the words to explain that concept are light. 
with the instrument. It's a it's a really strange dichotomy. And then you hear it with the with your headphones on. You're like, Bleh. yeah. Do you think that um this sort of uh, solo binaural technique could have uh, helped some other sort of solo Eddie tracks, like possibly uh, uh what was it on Gigaton? The uh, um oh it comes and goes. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think Does it add, add yeah. a little bit of juge to it something. Well, that, you, you can talk to Paul about comes and goes. He has some some juge problems with that one. Yeah, I, I've always I felt love it, that. but I understand the, the yeah. juge problems. <laughs> so, yeah, he's he's said that this song isn't really about anybody. It's sort of like a Bill Gates type. And then when they played it May in Toronto, twenty sixteen, kind of said it's like ah, oh, you know what? It's it's pretty much about a guy like Trump. Well, this song was written about a a, a, a wealthy guy who was a was a miserable fuck, and and just kind of just made you feel embarrassed to be a human when you saw what what he did with his his good fortune, and um, it wasn't written about anybody in particular. It was more of a general theory on rich fucks with no real that are completely out of touch with the people that they work with or the the people in their communities or Maybe just a little bit more but but now i realize it's 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 exactly about donald trump it's exactly Did he really say that? Yeah. I mean, I can see it now. I mean, at the time he wrote it, it's, you know, the end of a millennia, um, turn of the century kind of thing. I wonder, who, I mean, who was really the guy to make fun of then? I mean, Trump wasn't really anybody anybody cared about at the time. But, it, he, you know, he still, it still was a name. And it wouldn't have been Bill yeah. Gates because Bill Gates does some good things for, I mean, we were, we were pre-Amazon, so we were, mm-hmm. Bezos still had hair at that point. So, so it probably wasn't <laughs> about him. Elon Musk wasn't a thing yet. He was still doing PayPal. So I don't know. I, I don't know who it could have been about, but it, fit, it fits a lot of people now. <laughs> we, can, we can retroactively yeah, think, assign it to people. Yeah, I think that um, in the um, at the San Francisco show on that tour that he says, like, oh, this is for all the uh, the Silicon Valley guys or mm-hmm. something like that. He doesn't oh, really... Oh, you were there, weren't you? Yeah. Oh, hey. How was there, too? Oh, that's... <laughs> so I was going to try to play one... doesn't like the cold. <laughs> so I'll, I'll delica- uh, dedicate it to all the, uh, all the dot-comers on Silicon Valley. So that was, it was actually Mountain View, if I recall. Was it? Oh, that yeah, show. yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it, it was cold. He said it's like, oh. It's it's a, it's Halloween night, I think. They, yeah. they, were, they dressed up as the village people. Oh, I'll right. never forget that. Yep, yep. Yeah, you kind of said it's it's pretty straightforward. You know, there's, uh, there's a certain type of person who just wants to hoard money. Do you think a song like this, um, you know, you think about uh, how this spawned the album that Paul mentioned, the Ukulele Songs album. And you see a song like Sleeping by Myself get the get the full band treatment, you know, like three albums later, Lightning Bolt, which annoyed the hell out of me because I'm like, we already have this song. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if they would pull 
I don't know if I'm going, this is a small tangent, but it makes sense because, uh, you know, the band Anthrax, well, they, they did an album about 15, 20 years ago called the greater of, of two evils. And it was basically the last album they did with their, with their singer at the time before they went back to the original guy, uh, Belladonna. And they recorded like their best songs, but with, um, with, uh, the current singer at the time, which I'm, his name is escaping me. I want to say Joey something. No, that's Joey Belladonna. Anyways. So they record all these, they re-recorded all their songs. With, with this singer who was on his way out before they brought in the old mm-hmm. guy who originally recorded them. And so it, there is some sort of precedent of, and I guess Taylor Swift is doing this too, uh, uh, soon too, actually, re-recording some old stuff. And it, it, it stands to reason that maybe there's a way to kind of redo, reimagine what Soon Forget is in a full band landscape. Not that I want it as a album song, but maybe it's like you know, a little one-off to kind of get themselves back in the recording groove since we have all this free time right now you know i love it that could be something that, that could be interesting i don't know what do you what do you think about that well they've they've uh given the full ed Rhodes uh can't keep on ukulele and then they did the whole band for that for uh for riot act same thing yeah, yeah. damn it um mm-hmm. i i don't think that they care too much about going back because they have you know so much stuff that they can work on and just kind of, okay, let's do new stuff. Cause I mean, it, it was, they didn't really have input on the 10 redux. It was kind of like, okay, yeah, let's give it to Brendan O'Brien. He's messing around with it anyway. You just, you know, do whatever you want to it. But and they redid like a whole bunch of stuff on lost dogs. Like they re-recorded a lot of stuff. I think they, they had, um, so it's not out of the realm. Yeah. I think they probably just had um, alternate versions because I think that, you know, it's like, okay, the 10 years. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'd rather hear a reimagining of songs versus just let's just record it again. You know what I yeah. mean? Like you take a song like um, Alone. I'd rather listen to Eddie's voice in 92 versus, hey, let's re record it in 2000 something. Right. You know? So, I mean, it, it, I think if they were going to go that route, it'd be cool to kind of hear them redo some stuff. I mean, we've got a segment on our pod do the evolution right jason where, where we yeah. look at songs that the band has actually reimagined live and it's a really great exercise to see them exploring that space and sometimes you know when they rework a song it's it's as good or you know arguably better than the original version sometimes it's a, it's a slight reworking it might just be a change in the intro but they've been doing that for a while i mean you know mike used to have a beautiful intro to immortality when they would play it live, but you don't hear that at all on the album. And so I'd love to see them kind of just do that, but they're the type of band that I found. You'll see them do that live because they play so much that it helps spice things up. I don't think you'll ever see them do that in the studio only because they're writing so much and they bring so much to each recording session that's new and fresh because you know, the, the, the bands, the culture of the band has changed. It used to be, one or two guys really leading the charge. Now every band member shows up to these sessions with some compositions in hand. So I don't see anybody coming to the table saying, Hey, you know what? I, uh, I got bored. So, you know, I just figured uh, let's rework daughter. You know, it's like, <laughs> I, I, I think everybody's coming with something fresh and something new. So I'd be shocked if we ever got an album where they reworked or re-recorded a bunch of stuff and just kind of push that. It just, it just doesn't seem to fit where they're at. I have another question. What, you know, so when Chris Cornell died, they, I don't know, I forget how long after the, after they did this, but they put together like a 70 song retrospective, like it was, I think it was called Cornell or Chris Cornell, you know, all of his greatest stuff spanning all of his bands and his solo stuff. Yeah. I remember saying that. Does, not to put it out, put out bad juju, but when eventually, hopefully in 30 years or longer, (laughs) when, when Eddie goes, 
do they make and they, and they make something like this for him is soon forget on there well i'm at it, it, it how expansive of a you know release do you want this to be i mean you know you, you could just dig up everything i don't, I, mean, I, I don't think it's his finest effort i i, th- I think songs. he'd be the first to tell you that you know what i mean so i don't know he loves the ukulele i i, I think it was Although he does, but there, it's, there's a bunch of other Uke songs in the catalog as well. He got a whole album full of those, you know? I mean, how many B-sides from the Uke album are there? I don't know. I mean, so you probably get one of those before you got this, <laughs> be my guess. Could be wrong. I don't know. I don't like to think about these things, Jason. I'm not trying to put out this, <laughs> this juju. I'm just, uh, it maybe cross my mind. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think that this song is definitely important in the broader scope of sort of the story and development of the band simply because it is okay here's the ukulele here remember this because it's going to come in later in pearl jam because it's going to have a whole ukulele album and you know there's can't keep and it's sort of you know he he'll he'll come out and he'll do ukulele songs on his on his like solo tour and stuff like that and so it's sort of like a just a portent of some of the other steps along the way in the path of pearl jam that will come and so i think if if somebody was to make an eddie specific um retrospective that this song would definitely be on there because you're also going to look at it's like okay which are the songs that eddie wrote specifically you know you're going to have like a couple from each album anyway so it's not like a whole bunch of stuff anyway because there's all you know there's a couple solo albums too and then there's you know two three songs from the early albums and you get to later and there's you know more but it's sort of like okay you know the chris cornell one was uh was four discs so if you're gonna have at least you know an hour on each disc or so you're gonna need to take up some <laughs> some space put some of that stuff on Hey, they may even go the uh, rearview mirror route and go disc one is six strings, disc two is four mm. strings. There you go. <laughs> that's a that's a theme for it there. Yeah. You know, instead of up and down, you got six and four strings. Yeah. There's all the, there's all the live stuff in the, uh, um, call it the Christmas uh, singles too there, I guess, too. Mm. But do you, do you think that this would have been better as a Christmas single song too? Like something that's like, whoa, this is like out of nowhere and it's just on yes. there and it kind of maybe gets a little bit of a uh, maybe Olympic platinum or <laughs> sort of like a uh, ramblings. It, it feels closer to that to me. You, you think about Turning Mist and Hawaii 78 and some of these kinds of songs that are just kind of like, oh, that's cute. That's what this song feels to me. Yeah. It feels like a cute song that I would have been like, oh, that's a really cool little you know song that Ed put together for the fan club. Great. And then you forget about it. Especially <laughs> when you know the songs that were left off. Mm-hmm. You know, again, not to self-promote, but... Oh, fuck it. I'll self-promote. Go back and listen to our binaural retracking episode from like, I don't know, July 2020, whenever, whenever we did it. And uh, yeah, we have, we have some ideas, and I don't think Sumfrey gets a part of those ideas. I'll make sure I put that uh, binaural retracking uh, in the notes for this episode <laughs> so people can uh, just click on that. <laughs> Fantastic. What a guy. Yeah, what a you man. Know, you know I'll play a do. The hero from Reno. <laughs> Let's see, is there other, oh, there's there's a uh, live when uh, townsfolk, they all laugh, and people started uh, going, ha, 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 ha. Locked in a giant house, that's alarming. The townsfolk, we all laugh. So- when did that start? I don't believe in 2000, because I've listened to, like, a couple of those boots, and I don't think I remember hearing anybody laugh. Maybe it started in uh, 2003. I don't know. I'd have to listen to those shows. I'd have to do, I would have had to have done my research for this episode, which 
I guess I failed. The crowd does like to participate, so. <laughs> it's all right. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. Oh, bring it back to the who. Is there anything else about this song that uh, I think we need to say? I think we have whipped this donkey. <laughs> I think we squeezed the juice. Many times. As what is it, an hour, a minute and 45 every seconds drop song out or something? Of that lemon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm impressed we, we, we got as far into the... Uh, yeah, the TRT as we have, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's how it goes sometimes. You, sometimes there's some songs that are just like, oh, man, there's so many things you can say about it. Oh, they're so deep, blah, 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 blah. Some songs kind of like, yeah, it's pretty much the song is the song. And a lot of people feel the same way about it because it's just, uh, you know, a man and his uke. So don't worry. We'll, we'll, we'll get deeper the next time we talk to you, I think. Oh. Oh, yeah, stay tuned, everybody. Make sure like, subscribe, blah blah blah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then, yeah, let's 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 wrap this up then. Um, so uh, that means I'm going to we got to J- Jason's uh, Pearl Jam origin. So this question is going to be for you, Paul. Uh, this is the 30 year anniversary of Pearl Jam, or it's Pearl Jam 30. So um, I'm going to ask you, like Ed has asked at the end of single video theory, I mean, you, you, now you have to tell me, Paul, what does Pearl Jam mean to you? Man, it's a lot harder of a question. Now, you think somebody that was completely passionate about the band would be just come out quickly. Uh, but the reality is that Pearl Jam has meant many different things to me and continues to mean different things to me. And I like that about the band because the band's music continues to evolve as well. So I think that it's, you know, fitting that as a parallel, what the band means to me continues to evolve with it. Right now, I think uh, Pearl Jam means introspection to me. It's, you know, and I've mentioned this in the past, Ed's had comments about music today and, you know, without sounding pretentious, I mean, he's, he's basically said that there seems to be a, a high fructose content to a lot of the stuff that you see on the charts. I don't get that with Pearl Jam's music, and I appreciate that because it's the one source of music I know I'm going to get from a band that I'm open to anything that they're going to bring to the table. You know, when I first heard Dance of the Clairvoyance, my ears perked up and I said, ooh, I'm excited because it was nothing like I'd ever heard them do before. And, And there's not a lot of bands that I can say that about. I think sometimes a listener's relationship to a band it rests on familiarity and comfort. And you, you pick up an album and you're looking for that familiar feeling, those familiar sounds to either bring you back to that special place from when you first discovered them or because, you know, that's just the sound you love. Whereas with Pearl Jam, because that continues to be an evolving process, I just want introspection. And, and the lyrics and the music, because it's constantly moving and developing and it's so organic, their process, I can't help but feel that it, it forces me to reevaluate, to reassess. And, and I think that that's important for growth. And um, I'm grateful for the band for that. And, and I hope that that never changes in who they are. And I think, quite honestly, that that's a large part of their sustainability and why they're one of the few bands from that era who continue to make music, who continue to get along, <laughs> to, to make music that resonates. So that's my two cents. Off the soapbox, <laughs> Paul comes. Yes, thanks again. It was a pleasure. Uh, Jason, Paul, uh, you two now have the floor to to plug and pimp 
your podcast to to let everybody else who needs to hear more of this introspection and these dulcet tones uh, from from you two gentlemen. Well, the dulcet <laughs> tones come from come from you, my friend. I try. I I think I subconsciously try to make my voice sound lower, like this, <laughs> so I can match match Paul and you. Uh, we are at um, on all the platforms. We are our shows at the all Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Deezer, whatever, whatever the hell, everything. We're we're everywhere, and uh, we're on the socials. State of Love and Trust underscore Pod on Instagram. S O L A T underscore Pod on Twitter. We are on Facebook as well. We're part of the uh, Pearl Jam community of podcasts on Facebook with you and Randy and the guys over into deep and was it the uh the jamly matters yeah jamly matters and fucking there's so many i forget <laughs> there's so many there's so many people in our family here but yeah that's where we are so come and join the fun well said ditto thank you have you guys uh said like how you guys settled on state of love and trust like why specifically you wanted that as the title of your of your podcast uh, we we bandied about a few different names, I think, back and forth for a while. Yeah. And then uh, I think I I threw out it was God, it's, it's in a text message thread somewhere from back yonder. Yeah. But, if we scrolled. Back, I mean, it was just back and forth, different <laughs> ideas, and and uh, I don't. One of us just said, "Oh, how about you know? I got it. Well, how about this?" And then we both liked it and said, "Yeah, that that that's it." Yeah. It seemed and to work. Here we are. I mean, again. We we did state of love and trust as our you know our namesake uh, for the lyric and life card of the week recently and uh, it was you know the the interconnection of the words love and trust and how they are they kind of rely on each other that seemed to encapsulate a lot of what the band means to us so it kind of just fit and the song song is fucking killer and it was a great intro track so there you go yeah it is it is very yeah. sort of I guess two concepts that you can get from the band because. Um, I don't know. You can you love their music, and and they're not gonna betray your trust. You're gonna get what you get from them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thanks, buddy. We appreciate it. The Better Brand Podcast is produced by ListenUpReno.com and Brandon Palomo, and published using a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 license. Please visit CreativeCommons.org or email ListenUpReno at gmail.com for more details. All music played is owned by the respective publishers and copyright holders and is reproduced for review purposes only under fair use. You can subscribe to the Better Band Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or from BetterBandPod.com using your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at BetterBandPod. I'm on Twitter at Brandon P. B-R-A-N-D-E-N-P. If you like the job I'm doing here, you can go to ko-fi.com slash Brandon P and leave me a $3 tip or give me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to tell your friends. If you would like to be a guest on a future episode, send an email to betterbandpod at gmail.com or send any insights and stories you'd like to share and I'll read them on the season finale episode. Again, I'd like to thank both my guests, Jason and Paul from the State of Love and Trust podcast. And as always, this is Brandon saying... Uh, Aurora Borealis, at this time of year, at this time of day, in this part of the country, localized entirely within your kitchen, 